Welcome to the Eurofiles, a casual football podcast looking forward to Euro 2016. Today I'm joined by three fellow football enthusiasts. Hello Adam. Hello. Hello Liam. Hi. Hello Tom. Hello. And I'm Pete. And uh, we're going to start this podcast uh, going back to our trusty World Soccer magazine. And we're going to read out some player descriptions. There's going to be five. And uh, it's down to the three fellow football enthusiasts to guess uh, who the player is that I'm describing. Uh, whoever wins with the most uh, correct answers gets the right responsibility to uh, give the official Eurofiles prediction on how this group will go. So, player one, veteran defensive midfielder who many have claimed is past his sell-by date but has never let Hamron down. Uh, Kim Kallstrom. Kim Kallstrom. Kallstrom's going to the tournament, is he? He is, yeah. He'll get to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, good. Plays like grasshoppers in Switzerland. It's been good for them. Wasn't he the guy that injured himself beach volleyballing? When he went to Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He had a serious like back injury. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he joined. Yeah. Um, brilliant. Okay, player two. World-class frontrunner, showman and acrobatic finisher. Ebra. Ra- no, all right. Ibra <laughs> 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 yeah. It's Ibra. Yeah. yeah. So Adam's got two. Okay. So he could have an early victory here. <laughs> player three. One of the few successes of Italy's disastrous 2014 World Cup. He played in all 10 Euro qualifiers. Chiellini? Nope. Claudio Marchisio? Nope. Um, Plays in the Premier League. Alatelli. No. What? Does <laughs> he still play for Liverpool? No. Gio well, Chirini? But... No. Yeah. Oh, he, he plays for Bologna. I'll read it again. One of the few successes of Italy's disastrous 2014 World Cup campaign. Oh. He played all 10 Euro qualifiers. Oh, I can't think of it. Italian any... defender plays in the Premier League. That should be brilliant. Oh. Damian. Damian. Oh. Yeah, he's got it. Three. Oh, okay, okay. There we go. He barely, Three, no. barely plays in the Premier League. He, <laughs> <laughs> he technically plays in the Premier League. Um, should we, let's do two more just in case. Yeah. Just, 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 just to round it off. Just in case. Just, just <laughs> there's, nothing, there's no other outcome. We'll just Adam dies between now and <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to see who's We second. need a second. <laughs> just the format. We need, we need to formalise the, the position. Right, uh, player four. So Adam, you're out. I think we'll, we'll leave you out this one. Okay. So you've already won. So you're, you're, so you're taking a victory lap. You've run off around the house. <laughs> it's down to uh, Liam and Tom for the, these two. So the squad's undoubted leader, both on and off the pitch, but plagued by injuries since the World Cup. Robbie Keane? Nope. Think about the teams in the group. Yeah, I can't even um, remember what the teams are. God, no. Italy, <laughs> Italy, Belgium, and. Eden Hazard? Nope. Um, oh, oh, um. Oh, for Martin? Nope. No, don't we? Get rid of the I'll, I'll, I'll tell injured. you that's the right team. Um, it's not Flaney, he's not injured. Um, Kevin De Bruyne? Nope. Um, w- um, uh, uh, who's in? Oh, yeah, Company! Got you, Vincent Company! Oh, Here we go, Liam. Of course it's Company. <laughs> That's <laughs> taking so long. Right. God, okay, Adam well, was well, I was thinking of, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of players that were going, and he's not going. So. Oh, uh, you know, he's still, he's still Belgium, it's fine. <laughs> it's all good. Okay, and last one. Went to Brazil World Cup and able to play as a striker or a winger? Hazard? Nope. He's Belgian. Uh, Axel Witzel. No. <laughs> um, so he's a striker or a winger for Belgium, and he went to the Brazil World Cup. He was he was uh, a good player for Belgium, a surprise Origi? player for Belgium. Origi, yes. Oh. Salim, there we go. Unlucky, unlucky Tom. <laughs> just, just a quick word on the Origi. Yeah. He's terrible. I don't right. care how well he's played for Liverpool. He's terrible for Lille. <laughs> we'll get there. He's still, and he's still terrible. We'll get to Belgium. Mm. Brilliant. So, Adam, you've won the uh, right responsibility to decide how Group E is going to go. Nice. Barring Ooh. unforeseen consequences. Barring, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Barring, yeah. barring a poison. That's like Simmons, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely got plans. Brilliant. So going on to uh, the teams for Group E, 
And starting as always with the favourites of the group. Are they, not, are they the favourites of the yeah. team? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, think, well, I think Belgium might On be paper, Belgium might. I know, I guess, literally, Belgium are coming, being second in the world right now, right? Yeah. I, I think, but I think, if we're being honest, like how Belgium have been playing. Yeah. I think Belgium are the favourites for the group. Really? This yeah. Absolutely. I, th- I, start, I think I start with Italy. I think we should start with Italy. Yeah. They're the biggest team. They're the biggest team. Mm. Right. Uh, and as always, uh, starting with uh, the biggest team in the group <laughs> <laughs> is. Belgium! Uh, <laughs> is Italy. So Adam with Italy. Okay. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they get on. They're, they're another team that are supposedly good in tournaments. They, and normally, I think when you win an international tournament, you have to have something going for you. You have to have. You'd be riding on a crest of a wave, possibly from your. From like a generation or um, perhaps a style of play, but if if you don't have one of those things, then you're Italy and you win. So they're they're a, t- a team that with tournament history won the World Cup what three or four times now, four times I think. No, three times. Italy. Italy. Yeah, three, three times. times. Yeah. I think their strongest aspect of their team is definitely their defence. They'll they'll play three at the back. Conte loves three at the back. Did it all the way through his career at Juventus, and we'll probably try and instigate it at Chelsea, which will be interesting to see how that goes. <laughs> um, but with Buffon, who's now 38 and seemingly just getting better, he's still incredible. And then Bonucci, who's a brilliant one of those one of those defenders. A bit we talked about about someone earlier who loves a 40-yard pinging pass. He can he can pass the ball spread around fantastically. Chiellini and and Andrea Brazzagli, who you know Juventus back three. So they're incredibly strong. And those are three very very good defenders, verging on world class in some instances. And the fact that they all play for Juventus obviously is a massive advantage. Yeah, because they'll they'll, they'll know each other's games inside out, not, which is obviously great for a defense because. They can slot in where they need to, and they can cover where they need to. Um, they'll play with wing backs, probably the two of Florenzi, who is a player I've always really liked at, at Roma, very versatile. Damian, who hasn't the best season for Man United. Um, possibly even Gio Cherini, who, who who may slot in one of those positions. Dechilio as well, option. He's more of a centre back. He, he can play at full back as well. But he, if they're going to play four at the back, which they do, they, you know they're not totally adverse to switching to. He might drop in at right back or left back, possibly, but. Um, yeah, Keelan, he might move to left back in that situation, but it's unlikely because Conte's pretty, pretty vehement with, with, with the three at the back. Absolutely. Uh, going forward, it'll be interesting to see whether they go with two out front, possibly whether they've got Eder, Graziano Pele, and um, and then uh, midfield Thiago Mata, who may end up playing as their number 10, which would be a rather unusual move, considering they don't really have the classic Italian number 10 with the likes of Totti, Del Piero's more striker, but still kind of that that creative role further up the pitch. So he may end up using Thiago Mata as the most forward-thinking midfielder, which would be interesting because at Paris Saint-Germain in the last three months or so, his form has dramatically dropped away. Mm. Um, he, he plays defensive midfield for them, and I think sides kind of figured them out. They could realise that they could put him under pressure because PSG like to play with the ball. They don't press forward too much. They'll wait for a moment, they'll ping a pass, they'll pick a pass and pick you apart. And... League and sides getting so much time on the ball, they realised, oh, we could just press Thiago Mata and press him into mistakes. And that was used in the European games where he was pretty poor in those. So I don't know whether he's going to be that influential. I think his powers are very much on the way. He's 33 now. So whether he'll be effective in that forward thinking role if they play him there is, is open to debate. So it seems like not necessarily a <clears throat> a classic Italy front line. No. You've got uh, players like Pele who, who necessarily, hasn't necessarily had the best season with Hampton. Mm. Uh, Edda as well who's not necessarily a, a you know a, a leader of the line and like I say Motta who hasn't had the best season either. Yeah. So do you think that they could be struggling to get goals? Possibly. Quite possibly. I mean people like when you, it depends if they but they could play three forwards. They could sort of play a 3-4-3 three, three, which with Insegna and Candreva who who, 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 who are, do have goals in them Insigne especially great shooting from long range really short little chap um, quick quick forward but, but I think those goals those goals are 
aren't necessarily, you know, not coming from players like Edair, Pelé and, and, and Immobile. Yeah. I think, you know, they've scored, they've been prolific at times in their careers. It's not like they're, they're lacking a centre-forward, it's just whether they're lacking a centre-forward in form. So, yeah, so even if they are uh, finding goals, do you think that they'll really suffer from the loss of Verratti? Yeah, Marco Verratti is uh, an absolutely incredible player. He, he um, one of the most stylish players in the world. Like, his range of passing, his turn and touch on the ball is, is outstanding. And without him, they look far, far weaker. Um, he's an absolutely incredible player, a world-class player. And uh, he'll be a huge miss for Italy. Absolutely. Um, and of course, I mean, they have a few uh, options off the bench as well. A few kind of, once again, a lot of players who have potential were promising, but aren't necessarily the quality you'd expect from Italy. So mm. people like uh, Simone Zaza, mm-hmm. Insigne as well, Antonelli at the back too. These are all players who aren't necessarily too reliable, aren't, aren't that fantastic, but you can see them doing a job for it's, Italy. It's definitely not a vintage Italian side. Absolutely not. But then, like I said, they're, they're one of those teams that they don't necessarily need like that. As long as they've got a solid base, solid platform to build from, they're always dangerous. Mm. You know, they're, they they they're successful in in the past without them a strong a strong a strong team. So, yeah, and of um, course they qualified top of the group as well. Indeed, yeah, they're yeah. they're you know they're they're always a dangerous side. So I think this is the tough group, but you, you'd be surprised if they didn't make it out. But then you know remember in England's group at the World Cup didn't make it out of that group. They were in uh, it was World Cup twenty ten I think when Slovakia, Slovakia went through. Yeah, and so they they haven't they're not not haven't got the best form in those terms. But they, they did get to the final in two thousand six like ten years ago. But I think for me, um, it's a surprising miss is that Pirlo and Giovinco have both moved to the MLS in the last year or two. Um, but Giovinco is in incredible form for Toronto. Um, he's been in, obviously it's not the strongest of leagues by any means, no. but the, up until the up until the start of the tournament, the, the the squad was picked. They were they were still in the team. They were sitting around the squad. So I'm surprised. I'm not surprised that Pirlo's been left out. But with Verratti's absence, maybe he deserved to be included in the team. I don't yeah. know, but. He's been phoning in for, for New York City, so yeah. you know he's not exactly like the, the informed. But Giovinco, I thought, you know, he he's a, he would be contender to to even start the to form he's in and the, the the uninspiring options that you know he's faced with. So I'm surprised neither of them were given a chance. It's an interesting decision by Conte, and perhaps maybe especially on on Pirlo, and, and he, he's always been someone who's very heavily focused on work rate, mm-hmm. and he always pushes players very hard. Maybe he sees the fact that they're in a league that they don't really have to try and. And the fact that Pirlo especially has, like you say, been phoning in, mm. they haven't, they don't give the work rate that he expects from his players. Maybe that's a, a, a why they've not been picked. Possibly, I think it's just because they're playing the MLS. That would be yeah. my, my understanding. I, I don't know for sure, but yeah, because they're they're sort of, it doesn't say much to their quality that they're playing. They're playing really well, but they're playing well in a poor league, over, like comparatively poor anyway. So, and this is this is the question that I think always always uh, people struggle with is, well, one, how do you think Italy are going to do and how do you think Italians expect Italy to do? Hmm. Because nice. Italians, Italy and Italy have a, an up and down relationship with uh, you know, the, 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 the fans. Hmm. You know, despite a, a, you know, a good amount of success through the years, there, there's always been a lot of criticism around certain players, uh, certain omissions, uh, kind of how much of a role Totti's played in the past and hmm. things like that. So, um, is there a positivity, do you think, in Italy after the season and then the qualifying Italy have had? I don't think they expect to win it, by any means. No. But they, they're, they're, they're not expected to embarrass themselves either. Like, it would still be embarrassing for them to go out before the quarterfinals, I think, to some extent, unless they came up against one of the bigger teams. So, perhaps in a similar situation to England in that there's hope, but they're not the, the sort of the overbearing pressure of a public who, what, who think they should be winning the tournament. So. But uh, a few fan favourites in the team that probably helped, such as Buffon, and of course the, Conte is a very popular manager in Italy as well. Even though he's leaving, I think people are hoping that he does well for his reputation. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see what he does at Chelsea as well. 
I'm not sure that he's suited to the Premier League. I'm not sure that his style will mm. match match Chelsea's. But uh, yeah, I think uh, he's a good manager, and there isn't a. I don't think there's a better Italian option for them to manage the national side at the moment. So. Yeah, Ranieri. <laughs> well, yeah. it could well happen. It could. He's he's seen as the magician in, in Italy now after the season with Leicester. So you never know. After Conte leaves, he could, he could, hold, he could hold both managerial roles. He could hold Leicester <laughs> and Italy. And Italy yeah. You never know. It, it could happen. Um, so we'll have to see what happens with Ranieri. That'll be very interesting. Italy are always a always a, a national team and obviously a national league with Serie A that are just fascinating to me. Just there's so much going on. So much. So much kind of division and anger in every aspect of Italy in, in terms of their football. Uh, really, a lot about, it, about people in Italy not happy with Conte taking this job before the tournament, though, and thinking that he's not necessarily putting his full effort into hmm. this tournament and has, has his mind elsewhere. It's interesting, different then, attitude, isn't it? Because yeah, think yeah. about Van Hal in 2014, there wasn't really a problem with Holland. It was like, okay, well, he's going, it's fine. Yeah. Um, but then they had two managers lined up. They did. They, they had, Whereas um, Italy don't have that, I yeah, guess. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I think he's, he's he's a popular manager. He can almost get away with it a bit, I guess. Maybe if he wasn't so popular, people would kind of not be so behind that. But yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, okay, so well, in this group with, with with Belgium, Sweden, and Republic of Ireland, I mean, those are uh, three very tough games. Can you see them winning it? Can you? How do you think it's going to go with Italy? Um, I think the Swedes are heavy on on Zlatan, obviously, um, and. Belgium are a strong side, but they're yet to show that they're a strong team. They've got on paper they're very good, but I've never seen them. I, I, I haven't seen them play well as a team. I'm you know, they you know it wasn't the most difficult qualifying group, I suppose. So I, I still think Italy are favourites for the group. But fair enough. So it's it's looking like cautiously optimistic for Italy. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Well, uh, that's Italy. Thanks, Adam. Moving on to Belgium, the other team contesting for this group, Liam. Yeah, well, I mean, Adam touched on it just then, but Belgium are definitely an interesting case. Second seeded in the world, um, kind of really talking about golden generation. In the important FIFA rankings. Yeah, as we talked about <laughs> in a previous pod with Iceland in a golden generation, this is probably the the biggest golden generation of any international team right now. Yeah, they have so many stars um, from the front to the back that you kind of would expect an awful lot of them in a tournament like this. Um, but. Definitely. They have kind of these these players haven't quite clicked. Yeah, clearly they're they're a group where you would expect to be a, with a lot. Of, you expect a group like this to have a lot of creativity, attacking presence, but they've struggled really to click, and they've been quite defensively minded, hmm. and for good reason. I mean, if you look at the team from the back, they have a very strong back four. I mean, going into this tournament, forgetting about company obviously being injured, but with Vertonghen and Alderweireld, who came off a brilliant season together. Hmm. I mean, you'd expect them to do well defensively. I think they only conceded something like five goals. There's an interesting point with the defence as well. Like, um, Despite um, Eidevereld and Vertonghen obviously playing a centre-back for Spurs all season fantastically, mm. likely to play full-back, both of them, for Belgium. Do you, uh, are they both? I, I thought Vermaelen was more likely to be playing it. It looks, <coughs> it looks like Vermaelen and Lombards are going to be we'll playing be the centre. centre. Or, or even um, that, uh, Jason Denier would play alongside um, Vermaelen at centre-back. Yeah. Mm. But it's an interesting choice because you would yeah. think that after such a strong partnership all season... You they take would advantage of it. But Absolutely. With company out, it makes an easy option. Yeah. yeah. And they've got strong full-backs as well in... Um, uh, Thomas Munier, I think, plays a club, club Bruges. 
he's a player that I've I've always quite liked, and uh, John Lukaku as well, who um, Romelu's brother, Romelu's younger brother, he's a left back, plays at East End, who's uh, an exciting young player as well. So they could, mm. it might even suit the balance of the team if they just, you know, they cut their losses and said Alderweireld mm. and Vertonghen centre back, we'll play, we'll play natural fullbacks, but mm. and of course, I think I don't think they will. Yeah. And of course, with uh, Thibaut Courtois in goal, very strong keeper. Mm. Very, even though he hasn't had the best season, no. I mean, you'd expect him to be confident going into the tournament. I mean, yeah. he's also and also he's quite young as well. It's he's almost twenty three, is he? Yeah, I, th- I think he's a, he's a player who um, you he hasn't had the best season, but he's not a player who's going to lead Chelsea into a good season. Yeah. I think he's someone who would suffer by the bad mood in mm. camp. He's yeah. also kind of look, he's been angling. There's rumours he, he's angling for a move away. He did seem to separate himself from the problem quite. Early into the season, yeah. to be honest, like yeah, very yeah. quickly, he distanced himself from from yeah. what was going on. So he's a very, yeah. he's a very interesting, very. I think he's, he's, a, he's obviously, you know, he obviously will kind of ascend to be probably the best keeper in the world after Neuer, and mm. uh, he's oh, a very. David De Gea. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, no, very fair. I think, David David. I think he is the best keeper in the world already. All right, top three. All right, top three then. <laughs> David De Gea. Fair enough. Mm. But um, yeah, so an interest, an interesting defence. What, what have they got uh, in midfield and uh, attack? Yeah. I mean, I think we've highlighted it a number of times. But midfield is clearly one of the most strong positions for most teams going into this tournament. Yeah. But Belgium more than anyone. Yeah. They've got great midfielders. Beginning with people like Witzel and Nangalan, who two two strong strong players in their respective absolutely their respective teams. Nangalan's had a great season for Roma. Mm. He's very combative. I, I like him. He's one of those players that will. Win the ball back quite well. We'll put pressure on mm. on opposing midfield. Rumours that he might be going about. to the uh, Premier League. Another one of these Belgian players uh, joining the rest in the Premier League. Mm. Uh, what, what about kind of uh, they obviously anchor the midfield. They're more the, the passing kind of um, baseline. Mm. What about the kind of uh, the attacking forwards? Yeah, I mean attacking. They've got an awful lot of options. I mean, obviously Hazard having not the best of seasons, mm. but being. Finished very strongly. He did, with probably one of the best goals of the season. Incredible goal. Yeah. And that's an Arsenal fan, I'm sure you enjoyed that. But you wonder if that's going to cause some tension in the in the, in the the Belgium squad with the true. With, strong with the, Tottenham presence. Absolutely. Who knows? Very probably true. not, but <laughs> moving on. We, we, I can, mean, we can sit here and theorise about it. We this, certainly but, can. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, alongside him, and probably with more eyes on him, is De Bruyne. Absolutely. I mean, one of the best midfielders in, in Europe at the moment. I mean, incredibly creative. He's got a great pass in him and, and can really can really like push a game forwards and can score I and mean, he can, he can definitely score. Just so dynamic, just, just yeah, really just it brings so much energy to any part of the field he's in. And but yeah, Dembele's had a brilliant. Is he is he fit? No, no, it was a why 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 did he not have those last few games for Tottenham? Was he it was a, injured? Yeah, yeah, was an injury. Is he going? No, the eye gouged. The eye gouged. Oh he was banned. Yeah, so he will be going. I'm sure. Guardiola's get banned. He's banned for the first half of next season. That doesn't that doesn't extend to. Europe does it no no. so he'll he'll play and he's he's been great this season so I mean as long it's one of those things where you have so many great ingredients and it's difficult to make it all work together and at this point you'd say they probably haven't managed it Hmm. so it's the question of whether they can going forwards I mean Fellaini's had a pretty good season for for United. I'd let you talk more about him. Well, as as a United fan, I think it's it's quite common knowledge. I'm not a fan of Fellaini. Yeah, I think that we should get rid of him. But having said that. While I think United suffer from his presence, I think that his the honesty of Fellaini and the fact that he does one thing very well is yeah. very good for international football, and he can definitely come on and cause problems for teams. He's definitely a weapon in certain certain uh, situations, and I think Van Gaal likes him because he he does exactly what he says. Mm. <laughs> so I think Van Gaal kept picking because you know he followed his orders. Does he ever go he couldn't f- do anything else? That was well, a problem. Yeah. Does he ever go forward for Belgium? Because I know Belgium obviously have quite a lot of strength up front, like he used to for Everton. Yeah, well, that's yeah. it. So does he? 
Does he push on at all? Does he sometimes I think it's, get, play he that role? the amount of options they have, but yeah. I have seen him kind of um, make bursts forward before for Belgium. I think he did a couple of times in the World Cup. He scored in the World Cup, didn't he? I think he did yeah. score in the World Cup. Yeah, I remember he scored in the header, World Cup. It? it was a header yeah. against... Yeah. Well, obviously, um, you know, they've, they've got a, a lot of aerial presence going forward with people like Lukaku. Yeah, Lukaku, Benteke, and Origi. Like, I know Adam has already <laughs> made it clear that he's not a fan of Origi. Origi was a disgrace for Lille. An utter disgrace. <laughs> you see, I mean, he's got... He's probably, he's probably coming off... I mean, coming off that game, was did he score in the semi-final or did he score against Sevilla in the final in the yeah, Europa League? In the semi-final, it was a semi, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, he's he's probably got a bit of confidence. Yeah. Benteke obviously had a terrible season, yeah, awful, awful season. I don't know if I mean that'll affect it'll probably affect him quite. But I mean, they've got they've got Lukaku, great option. Yeah, and he will start obviously. If absolutely. you're not playing Romelu Lukaku, so you've got Michy Batshuayi in there, so he plays for Marseille. He's a mm. he's a really good finisher. Uh, scores all, to all types of goals. Hasn't had the best second half of the season. Was great in the first half of the season, but um, is always dangerous and is a really good striker both positionally. He's got pace. He's got strength, and he's just a brilliant finisher. Um, so if, if he's probably above Benteke, in the, at least in my opinion, in the in the in the, in the, in the pecking order. Yeah, and definitely uh, one other uh, fantastic player who has really come on this season is um, Yannick Ferreira Carrasco for Atletico Madrid. Of course. Who is another player who, uh, if you think of that attacking three behind Romelu Lukaku of De Bruyne, Hazard and Carrasco, that's fierce. Carrasco was excellent in the final, right? I think he's yeah. the right yeah, player. Fantastic yeah, fantastic player. Really yeah. dominated that Champions League final. It's a he shame. Was, he came on in the second half, didn't he? When, when oh, was that, is he scored and then he went and celebrated by... Kissing his girlfriend. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And we, we were all cheering. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's as simple as, as, as whether they can click. And they on paper have one of the strongest teams going into the tournament absolutely and we'll have to see how they do but I think this is this group is an opportunity for them definitely because mm. as we've been saying Italy aren't as strong as they could be and you know Sweden and Ireland while having definitely some good qualities you can see Belgium if they can click not only winning this group but also going pretty far in the tournament potentially mm. so do, do you think that how, how do you think they're going to do do you think they're going to get far I think hedging my bets you have to say yeah I mean I, I do have doubts and I've, I know I did going into the World Cup I was quite ne- negative about them, and then that feeling continued. Watching them play really boring football, mm. when I, I was expecting to see some see them light it up, like mm. it was really disappointing to see how they played in that World Cup. Yeah, but they're, I mean, I'd have to say that they're probably going. <coughs> I, I can see them making a quarterfinal run, if not more, depending mm. on who they meet once they once yeah. they get through. Yeah, so much depends on how this how this, this Euros plays out because we're we're all kind of guessing, and you know, there's going to be just sporadic kind of average teams in the later stages because of how this tournament's going yeah. and how it's how the structure of this tournament so it really depends on Fellaini, Fellaini's elbows well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah he could definitely come on and get sent off couldn't he that's a good yeah. bet yeah. is that a bet Tom? that's my bet yeah. <laughs> yeah, Fellaini's bet. elbows <laughs> that's a bet for Tom I don't, I don't know what I don't know what wrong with him in the World Cup though whether, whether it was just the wrong it was the wrong kind of World Cup at the wrong time for them like yeah, in, I wonder. They were they were quite they were they still are quite a young squad, but yeah. they're even younger playing in Brazil. They didn't really have much um, of a leader, did they? No, and the, mani- even, and the manager came under like company. fire as well. Yeah, well, Wilmot's exactly, and yeah. Wilmot's tactically has always come under oh, yeah. fire. One, one thing I'd like to point out about Wilmot, something I learned in this research, was his nickname at Schalke when he was when he was a player, nicknamed by the fans Das Kampschwein. Which translates as the war pig. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about people like leading, he's he's clearly a fiery, fiery man. He yeah. was class in World Cup 2002, as far as I remember. Well, as, a, as a player, he is, their, he is yeah. Belgium's leading World Cup scorer with five goals. Mm. So, 
Yeah. He's got a pedigree himself. And yeah. But I think he, he, and, they, he, he tried to take... A lot of the blame was placed on him for the performance at the World Cup. Mm. And he didn't really deal with it very well. No. Yeah. He kind of was like... Oh, oh. And to be fair to him, Belgium have been pretty anonymous on the world stage up until he... Kind he of appeared. he appeared as yeah. a manager and even as a player before, but then as a manager, yeah. obviously he has been given quite a like gift with these with this team. Yeah. But he's got to get it tactically right, and he I does. think it, it, he is the person to blame if this team doesn't produce because they're all so talented. I think yeah. I think the story I think the story just just kind of tying this up. I think the story of Belgium this time around will be Kevin De Bruyne because if you think mm. that he has such potential, he could he could be a player. He's of such tournament. a good player. He could be a player like, of tournament. Like, like if if he. In in a in a kind of a field of, of stars, he could lead those stars by being the best and really kind of by take, example, leading by example, getting goals, just just playing good quality football. He could bring everyone else up around him, and hopefully he can knit together a Belgian side that could be uh, a Jerry Vardy's having a party. I've already used it kind of <laughs> again, but I suppose they're too they're too strong for that, really, aren't they? Yeah, they're too strong for a Jamie Vardy, but um, a team that we're all looking forward to seeing how they do. They need to beat a they need to beat a really strong team in this tournament. They do, definitely. and then everyone then they'll start. Then they'll start taking themselves seriously. So they, many they need to beat in Italy or or, or England or in England or Spain <laughs> or so many so many parallels to the the golden generation of England as well. When you think about it, just so many players who for some reason can't play together, but they really should be doing much better than they are. Mm. So and really just being misused. Yeah, I feel like at the moment the team is completely being misused. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's, I mean, there's no Paul goals that wide, but I can <laughs> see what you mean. Uh, so that's Belgium. Uh, going on to Ireland now with uh, Tom. Um, so Ireland's uh, a, a team managed by someone you're quite fond of, Tom. Um, who's that? Uh, <laughs> is it Michael O'Neill? Yeah, Mike, Michael O'Neill, yeah, for uh, Northern Ireland. Yeah. No, Martin O'Neill, Peter. Oh, sorry, mate, sorry. <laughs> he is Northern is he? Irish. I'm sorry, but I'm he sorry. manages Republic of Ireland. Sorry. Um, but we'll come on to him. <laughs> I'm sure we so, will. <laughs> uh, first, let's talk about Republic of Ireland. With Republic of Ireland, just I think it's worth with them looking at their history in the European uh, Championships since 1996 because it's been pretty abysmal. So um, in 1996, they lost a playoff to Holland to get into the tournament. They lost. It was a one. It was a one-legged playoff back then as well. So they lost. Oof. They lost. Lost against Holland at Anfield Oof. to two Patrick Clivert goals. Oh. Mm-hmm. In, Clivert, what a player! In 2000, they again lost a playoff against Turkey, and they went. They lost it on away goals, so they drew one all in the first leg, and then drew nil nil in the second leg, oh, and, and didn't get to the tournament on away goals. In 2004, they finished third in their group. 2008, they finished third in their group, neither <laughs> time qualifying, but they did qualify for Euro 2012. So they finished uh, second in their group then, and they absolutely romped Estonia in a playoff 5-1. <laughs> and then when they got to the tournament, they equaled the worst performance by a team <laughs> in Euro- European championship really history. That Estonia win. They conceded nine goals and scored one. <laughs> so they absolutely like bombed in that tournament. But it's been a little bit better, although not too much better this time round. So their qualifying campaign didn't really get off to a good start, but they really benefited from Scotland's historic loss to Georgia which completely turned that group around so they were doing okay but once Georgia slipped up they really capitalised and beat Germany 1-0 but then they lost 2-1 to Poland in their final game if they would have beaten Poland or I think even if they got a draw out of it they would have gone through automatically automatically. but that meant that they had to go into a qualifying game and they were drawn against Bosnia and this was the game where the first leg was played in Bosnia and 
when the fog descended on the pitch. Oh yes. And no one still still to this day no one knew knows what actually went on in that game. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mystery. But they eventually came out uh, over the two legs winning 3-1 against Bosnia with some goals from John Jonathan Walters sending them through against the Bosnian team that could well have beaten them, mm. but they've kind of suffered the Bosnian team that suffered from a pretty bad World Cup and then a pretty stink a stinker of a qualifying campaign yeah. really. Didn't, so, did Bosnia beat Belgium in the qualifying group? Yeah, they did. Qualifying, they did, yeah. So yeah. They, they started quite strong. Got some pedigree. Right? Yeah, so, they, so they've, uh, uh, so they've, you know, they, they got through one yeah. way or another. They're, 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 the they're there on merit. Yeah. But they're not really expected, again, to do much in this tournament. They could perhaps have done well if they had a favourable favor, draw, mm-hmm. but no one's going to be uh, betting on them in this group when they're playing Italy, Belgium and Sweden. Probably the worst then, one they could have got. Yeah, it's a horrendous draw. It's, they, I think they're fearing that this is going to mirror 2012 again. They could easily end up conceding as many goals and scoring as few goals as they did in that tournament this this side around. Absolutely. Going on to their, kind of, their players, though, again, it's a little bit uninspiring. So Yeah, there's another, uh, again, a, a strong championship uh, vibe. Yeah, so it's, it's actually quite similar to Northern Ireland. Um, in terms of the quality of players that they have. So one thing that kind of sums them up is their central defence that's probably going to start is John O'Shea and Richard Keogh. Uh, Sunderland which, and Derby. Do yeah, you and you don't really want those two. Well, <laughs> well you think in England's bad with, with Gary Cahill and Chris Smalling. But yeah. You wouldn't want John O'Shea and Richard Keogh. I think John O'Shea's past his uh, uh, nutmegging Figo days. I think John O'Shea was, was already past it in Euro 2012. <laughs> yeah. And he's still there. But they're a little bit more... They're marginally more promising in the midfield. So they've got James McLean. They've got, yeah, they've got James McCarthy. And then they've got Glenn Whelan. Yep. 32-year-old Glenn Whelan. Fantastic player. 34-year-old Wes, Wes Houlihan. Oh, I just got relegated with Norwich, so uh, looking good. Yeah, uh, classed as the Irish Messi. <laughs> Wessie. Wessie. what he's called as. Yeah, is what he's known as. So slightly better in midfield. Um, but then up front is where they're kind of, they need to really start delivering. So they've got John Walters, who's back from um, a kind of medium-term injury that he sustained at the end of this season. He's fully recovered now. And he's probably going to be starting alongside Shane Long, who is going to be their main threat moving forward, both aerially and just skill on the ball and finishing. That's where their hopes hang, I think. Yeah, and they've got Robbie Keane, who could well make some cameo appearances. Star of the MLS, really, Robbie Star of the MLS and star of of Republic of Ireland, full stop. (laughs) Forever. (laughs) Yeah, so he has 143 caps for Republic of Ireland and he has 67 goals. And he's... he's, Got that crazy stat where he scored in every calendar year since 1990, whatever or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he just scores goals, but um, he's definitely not going to be starting in this team. Mm-hmm. But he's probably going to be coming on playing that kind of the, the savior role, the Okazaki role, <laughs> the Okazaki role, 60 minutes. Well, yeah, it, well, well the, actually, the Ajoa, oh, sorry, yeah, the, the Ajoa, Ajoa role, yeah, not the Okazaki role, yeah, yeah. coming on and just, just hoping to get Sunning out of these games if they're, if they're in a bit of a hole, yeah, but um. Another another kind of positive side of this team are the fullbacks. So they've got Robbie Brady and Seamus Coleman, hmm. who both on their day pretty good, pretty good defenders and pretty good coming forward as well. Yeah, yeah. Seamus Coleman is a player who's uh, people say a lot of positive things about him over the last few years in the Premier League. Yeah, and uh, he's someone who, as we know, can contribute to the goals as well. Yeah, and um, the whole tactic is probably going to be playing a four four two with 
John Walters and Shane Long up front or even a 4-5-1 where they load the midfield and just keep Shane Long up top mm. and the whole tactic is going to be trying to feed Shane Long with these crosses so Seamus Coleman and Robbie Brady are going to play pivotal roles in that trying to get the ball into where it needs to be and that's yeah. the only way that's the only way they're going to succeed is, is to feed Shane Long or John Walters and have any kind of goal threat because I think they're going to they will concede goals against the teams that they're up against especially with um, Darren Randolph and goal who doesn't start for West Ham yeah, uh, in goal, and he's just a he's a cup keeper. He is so. a cup keeper. Yeah, I mean, this, I mean, this, this being a knockout competition, you never know. But I don't think it's gonna. I don't think he's <laughs> gonna gonna jump to form. But also relying on Shane Long, a naturally inconsistent player, yeah. uh, to get you goals is quite a tenuous tenuous thing as well. But he's a bit. Of, he can be a bit of a flair player as well. No, he, he can. can be. He can score goals out of nowhere. Yeah, um, like that. He's disastrous four 0 <laughs> the season down to Arsenal god yeah but like, he's, he's very similar to Robbie Keane though whereas I think on the ball when his general style of playing he, he just if he has the ball he is a threat definitely you can see you can see him sneaking goals against Italy and Belgium and Sweden if if it will work if it all comes together on the day one thing that um, really sticks out to me with this just looking at this 11 is a lot of players as I was saying with Randolph that don't particularly start so obviously Randolph doesn't start for West Ham Kieran Clark hasn't played too much of Villa no. Um, John O'Shea. No one's, uh, no one's played for Villa. No one's played for Villa. Uh, John O'Shea was uh, just 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 passed it completely, but also hasn't played every game for Sunderland. And he was he was he was in that side though for Sunderland at the end of the season. He John was O'Shea. in that side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Walters uh, mainly because he's he is getting on a bit. Doesn't always play for Stoke and have a lot of different options up front now as well. Yeah, I think and and John Walters, but John Walters played himself into this side in qualifying, and he he got them there with those goals against Bosnia in the second leg of the playoff game. Yeah, so he definitely so, deserves to be there. Absolutely, but it is it is a, it is a a team which is is kind of made up of mismatch of players who have come from dodgy seasons, and you wonder whether they can really cope in such a tough group. Yeah, and they've all, um, Republic of Ireland always seem to have a mixture of these older players that are kind of you'd argue are past it, and kind of middling players that are a little bit uninspiring, and they've just got worst possible draw that they could have got. Yeah, it's a shame, but I think if there's if there's one shining light in this whole scenario. It's their manager, don't you agree, Tom? I do agree, Martin O'Neill. But he took over from Chapertoni in 2013, but he's kind of been overshadowed a little bit by Roy Keane. So I think they bought they bought him in with Roy Keane to be a bit of a yin and a yang, and to see if it would work. And it, it kind of has. It kind of has. They, I think they 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 get on with each other. Although think, breaking news, uh, Roy Keane has walked out of the island camp today. Yeah, so, in yeah, disgust. So, um, Although he might be walking in again in five minutes now. Roy Keane, <laughs> but. Um, and it has kind of worked, but. I don't think the players necessarily appreciate having those two characters as their leaders in the dressing room. Yeah. But let's 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 forget about Roy Keane for the moment. He's okay. not he's not the manager. Let's focus on the main man. Let's focus on uh, Martin O'Neill. Ooh. So here we go. I've got, 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 got a few bullet points here that I'd like to read out. I feel like I should put some music over this when we. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I'm just going to adjust my seat and come. Maybe not Marvin Gaye the... again, but something else. <laughs> well, yeah. it's up it's up to you. You can you can whatever you want to put in front of uh, behind this is it's up to you. <laughs> So move a little bit close to the microphone and um <laughs> Everyone settle in. Martin Hugh Michael O'Neill was born on the first of March nineteen fifty two in Kilray, Northern Ireland. He is a sixth child of nine siblings and has four brothers and four sisters. He was a midfielder and made his name playing for Nottingham Forest, scoring forty eight goals in two hundred and eighty five appearances between nineteen seventy one and nineteen eighty one. He's also played for Northern Irish side distillery and in England for Norwich, Man City, Notts County, Chesterfield and Fulham. He played for Northern Ireland between 1971 and 1984, scoring eight goals in 64 appearances. 
During this time he scored international goals against six different countries. Portugal, Scotland, Sweden, Australia, Turkey and Austria. He retired from playing in 1985 after suffering from a persistent knee injury. Uh, Pete, can you up the tempo on the music here? I'm going to go a bit quicker now. Okay, okay. He began his managerial career in 1987, where the legend began in earnest. He's managed eight teams other than the Republic of Ireland. Grantham Town, Shepshed Charterhouse, Wickham, Norwich, Leicester, Celtic, Aston Villa and Sunderland. His notable successes include getting Leicester promoted to the Premier League in his first season and going on to finish in the top 10 four times with Leicester. He's also guided Celtic to the 2003 Euro- UEFA Cup final, but lost 3-2 in extra time to Jose Mourinho's Porto. In more recent times, he's known for missing out on guiding Aston Villa to the Champions League on multiple occasions, but always by the smallest of margins. He famously resigned from Aston Villa four days before the start of the 2010 season. He was heavily linked with three huge managerial roles over the past 15 years. These were taking over from Sir Alex Ferguson at Manchester United in 2002, from Sven Goran Eriksson at England in 2006, and most famously from Nigel Pearson at Leicester last summer. Hmm. He said he would have taken the England job if he was offered it, and the Leicester job if he hadn't already committed to the Republic of Ireland. Despite never completing his degree in criminology, <laughs> he remains an avid follower of crime. His friends describe him as awkward, funny, and terrifying. You know he was friends. I am one of his friends. <laughs> Martin O'Neill. The man, the myth, the legend. Oh, well Very good, very good. And it's all led to this moment. It's all led to 2016 in France, Martin O'Neill. Equaling uh, Republic of Ireland's worst uh, record <laughs> in, the Euro- in, in the European Championships. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks for, that. Thanks for that, Tom. I think we understand a little bit more of why you support Martin O'Neill rather than an actual football team. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got nothing more to say. Now. I think we all, I think we all learned something. I think we all laughed and we all cried. I think we've. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a great, great couple of minutes there. Brilliant. So, uh, fantastic. Well, I think. Uh, well, Martin O'Neill, uh, while being a, a man of myth and a legend, uh, might not uh, get the same legend status in this tournament. Do you think that Ireland are going to go far? Tom? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I don't see them winning again. So I think I, I don't even think they're going to finish one on zero points, and I'm pretty. Is that a eulogy for Martin O'Neill? I'm confident and almost certain that he will leave the, the yeah. post at the end of this Euros, and he'll probably probably take over at a championship site. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that, that's my that's my prediction. Oh, you never know. He'll he'll take Forest. He'll he'll start managing Forest, and they'll win like the 2019 yeah. Champions League. That's like, that. like gen, mm. that's genuinely what's going to happen <laughs> <laughs> brilliant well thanks for that Tom uh, very informative as always great so that's Ireland going on to the final team in the group and it is Sweden otherwise known as Team Zlatan so Sweden are a team that revolve around the main man Zlatan Ibrahimovic the biggest ego in football he's a, he's a man that personifies the team and he's, he's kind of forced his way into being the personification of Sweden. This is because when he, uh, when he first kind of started playing for Sweden and when he kind of uh, grew up in Sweden he wasn't accepted as, as, as the, uh, he wasn't accepted into the team straight away nor into places like Malmo he had to fight for his place but he has now kind of conquered uh, both the international and kind of the national mentality around football. This season uh, he has scored 52 goals in all competitions and has 16 assists. He has 62 goals and in 112 caps for Sweden as well, so that's almost one in two, so it's fantastic. So he is a man that everyone will look to in Sweden to do something in his tournament. And after uh, missing out on the World Cup, he'll be raring to go. Uh, so 
it has been, despite Zlatan's rise and uh, this, this new man that they, they have to look to, it has been a bad decade for Sweden. They uh, haven't reached a knockout stage in 10 years. The last time was with, uh, if you remember, uh, uh, England in the 2006 World Cup. In that game where we drew with them 2-2 in the group stages. Uh, just uh, remember Joe's Cole, Joe Cole's goal in that game and thinking we're going to win a tournament. But of course we didn't. But they, they haven't actually done much uh, since that uh, World Cup. So they've actually missed uh, both 2010 and 2014. And they've gone out in the group stages of every Euro since. So it's not been a great time for Sweden recently. They finished behind uh, Austria and Russia in the qualifying. But did manage to get through in a playoff against Denmark. Um, this was quite an interesting playoff because before the playoff happened, Denmark were saying that they were going to retire Zlatan from international football. This would be the final time that Zlatan would uh, uh, get a chance to play in a tournament and they were going to deny him. Of course, being Zlatan, he went on to uh, take Sweden uh, through on aggregate after uh, winning the second game 2-2 and scoring both goals and then famously remarked that he'd retired Denmark from football. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, looking forward to the tournament with him uh, kind of in full attitude and um, full energy uh, trying to get Sweden somewhere in this tournament. The manager uh, taking him into the tournament and controlling players like Zatan is Eric Hamron, um, who's going to retire after the tournament. Uh, he plays a 4-4-2 system and has often been criticised for being too traditional in his style and perhaps not tactically aware um, and perhaps relying too much on um, on Zlatan and other, other kind of personalities in the team and not having his own stamp on the team himself. In the team, they do have some interesting players, though, aside from Ibra. Uh, up, up front with uh, Ibrahimovic will be John Gudetti, who uh, didn't make it at Manchester City, but has uh, found a place at Celta Vigo and always plays well for Sweden, despite not being the best uh, for his club and not really reaching his full potential that he had when he was, he was a younger player. He was brilliant at Feyenoord, fantastic at Feyenoord for uh, a lone season uh, where he scored hat-tricks against the other three big sides in the Eredivisie and was, was young and raw as Eredivisie strikers often are but it was quality yeah and uh, so he's, he's a player that kind of um, adds, to, adds to Sweden's chances as does uh, Emil Forsberg who is uh, a, a breakthrough player currently playing at Leipzig uh, playing on the on the left wing of that four four two midfield, um, someone who brings some excitement to Sweden, uh, maybe a success as Zlatan, you never know. But they do have an aging spine, despite the young talent. Um, yeah, I think he's like he plays Rebel uh, Rebel Leipzig, obviously in in Bundes two, and there he got promoted to Bundes Bundes one this season. Uh, a team with lots of money, they they sort of spent you know more than the rest of the division combined in the in the off season and. Uh, Probably the best player in that division, and will will, will maintain his his importance as they go up to the, the the top. Yeah, so he's he's a he's a player, definitely a player to look out for in the next few years, and perhaps someone who uh, will make an impact at the Euros. Uh, but they, despite this young talent, they do have an aging spine. So uh, a player that I'm sure Liam is very fond of as an Arsenal Arsenal fan is Kim Kallstrom. Oh yeah, Arsenal legend Kim Kallstrom. I remember that one pass. That one pass. <laughs> <laughs> that one beautiful pass. How how did he get injured? Uh, I wish I'd remembered because beach ball. Yeah, well, he's playing beat. Was he beat, beat volleyball or just beat football? I did, I thought. Yeah. Who knows? Do you know? I think it, was beach, it was beach volleyball. But it was beach yeah. volleyball, wasn't it? Was it? Before volleyball. before joining us in in that January window. But you still you still signed him. him. We still you signed him, see. knowing that he we could get a good like twenty minutes out of him. Or something. <laughs> it would be worth. It would be worth. Which is more than you get out of Jack Wilshere. So <laughs> it's fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> but he did get one great assist, and I'll remember him for it. <laughs> There you go. He was brilliant at Lyon when they were winning every every season in France and they had that seven consecutive title wins. He was fantastic for them and I know he's been great for Grasshoppers this season in, in Switzerland, fit and playing well and uh, class in that league. Not the strongest of leagues but class in that division. Absolutely and he's, so he's the defensive midfielder, he'll definitely start for Sweden, currently playing for Grasshopper. Alongside Kim Kallstrom in that midfield is another uh, player who 
Premier League fans will remember, and that's Seb Larson, uh, still playing for Sunderland apparently. Although we were quite surprised when we found that out because he hasn't really appeared much recently, or we haven't really we don't really remember him playing recently. But a player who you know over the years has shown himself useful, uh, things like free kicks and you know gets goals from outside the area. So someone who could add to the goals from Zlatan. But again, you don't want to be relying on people like Kim Kalshman and Seb Larson to get you through. And I think that overall, they'll still be looking to Zlatan. Further back, they have uh, more ageing players. They have Martin Olsen and uh, Michael Lustig at uh, fullbacks. So that's uh, Martin Olsen of Norwich City and Michael Lustig of Celtic. So uh, again, players that aren't particularly, uh, you know, they're, they're quite middle of the road, um, not really going to do anything. They have, uh, also have Andres <laughs> Isaacson. Uh, yeah, basically Kassim Passer now in Turkey. In, in goal, yeah, for yeah. Andreas Leiden for uh, Kassim Passer in Turkey. Andreas Grankisten there as well, who's uh, Everton, I think, at one point, possibly. So yeah. lots of, lots of, uh, some of their teams seem to be around for about 15 years. So. Yeah, yeah, so they're, they're kind of, a, it, it's, it's a lot of players who, who know each other very well, but that's not promising when you think about the, 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 the decade they've had. So you wonder, is there enough uh, kind of change and injection in the team to get them anywhere? So, uh, Adam, as, a, as a, an avid follower of PSG, uh, do you think that Zlatan can make a, a real impact in this tournament and, and, and pull Sweden dragging... Uh, dragging? Pull Sweden dragging and kicking? Drag Sweden... <laughs> kicking and screaming. Will Zlatan be kicking and screaming in this tournament? That's Will Zlatan drag Sweden kicking and screaming into the knockout stages? It's possible. I think he's 34 now and his contract up is up at PSG they've decided not to renew it and he'll, I think he'll turn up at Man United over the summer at some point um, he's had an up and down season I think it's been one of his best domestically for Paris Saint-Germain overall uh, record breaking season broke the PSG record for amount of league goals in a, in a season 30 plus I think it's 35 in the end possibly he still Zlatan he still tries ridiculous things and they come off half the time like there was a fantastic half volley against Caen which he sort of smashed into the top corner without any back lift um, there's a fantastic bicycle kick which he hit, which I don't even know how he pulled it off, hit the bar against Sanetienne. Um, he's still still a fantastic player, still extremely talented and still capable of anything. But he's, he's become a bit of a flat-track bully, like against the weaker teams in, in, in France, he'd score once or twice and, you know, get an assist or two perhaps. And so look at Ireland, basically. But yeah, PSG, yeah, it was Ireland. PSG uh, would win 4-0 and he'd look amazing. And they, <clears> they, he, against the bigger sides he was in France, he was still relatively important, but he, you could see that he, he against better players, they were sort of working out how to, to control him in his, in his older age. In the Champions League especially, he was very disappointing overall. Yeah. Um, especially... Played well against Chelsea, to be fair, in the second leg, but against Man City, he was very, very disappointing and looked looks like he was 34 hmm. and probably maybe not as, um, as as integral as he thinks he is or or as he might have been, which is why I think Paris Saint-Germain decided not to renew his contract. It was kind of a, they need to move on, basically. He's yeah. an overbearing ego on the team, which is the case with the Swedish national side as well, was becoming a bit of a, a burden for them. So I felt like it was time for them to move on. So the, the, his, 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 his pros have sort of being outweighed by his cons now at club level. So the same could be, could be the case for Sweden as well. And I think that uh, going to this tournament, uh, there's obviously the, the Swedish fans, they believe in Zlatan and they give him hope. If you take Zlatan out of this team, it is distinctly average and ageing. He's still, he's still a great player. He is a great player and he still can drag people, he still can drag the team to something special, but I, I really don't see it happening, to be honest, especially in this group. I think that, well, the, the view in Sweden is that it, was, it is all down to the island match and they could qualify in third behind Belgium and Italy, but past that I can't see them really getting anywhere. 
yeah, so I, I really don't think that we'll see um, Sweden get, doing anything apart from qualifying in third, and I really can't see them getting any further than that. They'll get knocked out in the first knockout stage easily. So apart from, you know, sorry Zatan, but you, you're not a good enough to carry an entire nation. Right, so that's... Uh, that's going to get quoted. He'll probably, yeah, he'll probably <laughs> disagree with that. Yeah, yeah. You're getting yeah. in his next book. He's actually yeah. said, like, he's worried about Swedish football because he's going to retire soon. And uh. what they're going to do, do without him. Fantastic. And I also, just to anyone listening on the pod, uh, recommend his autobiography, I Am Zlatan, a fantastic book. Um, but yeah, so that's, uh, that's all the teams in Group uh, E. And Adam, you have the right and responsibility as the winner of our little game earlier to decide how this group is going to finish. Okay, I think it's tight. I think that I think um, the Irish will. I think they'll be slightly better than they were last year. And I think Martin O'Neill. I think he had some sort of impetus. I don't know what it is. I think it, it, he, that remember that draw against the Germans in 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 in, in qualifying, and um, and no, they beat and they beat the Germans at home as well. I think he adds a spirit which Trapattoni didn't. So I think that's. That's on their side, but I think they're still for this bottom of the group. Um, but they'll be, I think they'll be a bit more competitive. Um, this is the front, I think the top three are relatively close. I think between Italy, Belgium and Sweden, I still fancy the Italians just simply because I think Mark Wilmots is not as good a manager as some people would believe because this is his first proper managerial post and he's got a generation of players that has come out, you know, it's, it's come through together and it's, they're kind of burst into the scene and he hasn't got the best out of them. If 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 this was a, a, a generation of Belgian players that weren't as as sort of well known or as had the quality and he was doing this well with them getting to work at quarterfinals and stuff, great. But I think on paper they should be a lot more effective as a team. You think about the, the group they had in, in the World Cup, that relatively easy group they won each game, but they sort of struggled through it and only just beat the USA in the second round, so I'm not sure he's getting the best out of the team, hmm. um, and trying possibly trying to squeeze in players at the, in defence that he doesn't need to. Yeah. Um. So I, I think the Italians are far more experienced. Their defence is fantastic. They may struggle for goals, but if they get a strike on form, I think they'll win the group with Belgium second. Just, and Sweden can take points off those two, but you'd have to say they're the third best team in this group. Satan aside, but I, I, it's close. So your official lineup is Italy, Belgium, Sweden. Island. There we go. So not looking good for Martin O'Neill, Tom, unfortunately. No, I agree. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So uh, that's Group E. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon for uh, Group F. Remember that you can follow us at Eurofiles Pod on Twitter, and we'll see you next time. We have Andres <laughs> Isaacson. Uh, yeah, basically Kasim Passer now in Turkey. In, in goal, yeah, for you. Andreas for uh, Kasim Passer in Turkey. Um. <laughs> okay, it's out there.